From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. First Corinthians 12, here we go. We've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit. And we've been looking at, there's nine gifts of the Spirit that Paul will list. We've worked through the first seven already. And so Paul talks about these unique abilities. We're going to look today at the last two. Uh, we're going to start this teaching today. It'll probably extend a couple weeks. Uh, I th- don't think there's one, a way to handle it in the amount of time we have correctly. Paul will say the Spirit gives special faith to another. Someone else gives the power to heal the sick. He gives one person the power to perform miracles to another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to know whether it's really the Spirit of God or another spirit that is speaking. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, and another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Okay. Tongues and interpretation. Here we go. I think for for some of us it's a hot topic. For other of us, it's a new topic. For maybe a larger chunk, it's just a topic we'd prefer to avoid. How many of you, in your total honest answer, say tongues and interpret? Kind of weirds me out. I'm not sure what to do with it. It's okay. There's no judgment here. Is that all of you or some of you lying? Okay. So I grew up in a, in a really strongly Pentecostal environment. And it was this gift that caused me to want to move into as evangelical a place as I could. Because I was so weirded out by it. I just couldn't figure out why and how and what. And, the, and when I would ask, if I'm honest, the explanations, they just made me, it, it, if I can be blunt, I would find myself going, I just don't get it, God. That seems super dumb. I mean, I was seven years old and I had a, 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 a pastor lay his hands on me and kind of yell at me, just say whatever words are coming. And I just, it was, it was traumatic. And it caused me to, to to kind of pull back away from the gifts of the Spirit. If I'm 100% honest, I would self-proclaim that I was the most evangelical charismatic I'd ever met because I wasn't a fan of these things because they just weirded me out. And it was probably this gift more than any other that caused me that. So I have some goals for us in this teaching. There's three things I really want to accomplish. Number one, I'd like to invite us to approach this study in neutrality. What do I mean by that? We suspend our beliefs for the study. Doesn't mean you don't have your opinions. Doesn't mean I don't have mine. But instead, let's, let's approach it neutral and let's allow the scriptures to teach us what's actually happening. Not our opinions. Maybe for some of you like me, grandma taught you a certain thing. That's how it was relayed to you. I'm, I'm great with that. I don't have a problem with any of that. I just think it'd be, we would be wiser to come as students to the text and ask what's being taught here. And then the third thing is I really want to dispel fear. And I want to bring healing to maybe poor history and poor understanding. I think we have to take this in in two chunks and I'll tell you what those chunks are initially. There's the public gift of tongues and there's the private gift of tongues. We have to take these in two different slices and deal with them. So the question is, what is Paul talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12? If we go back to the Genesis point of his writing of this letter to the Corinthian church, 
We understand that he's addressing both questions and concerns. There's things that they're asking him about, and there's things that he's heard about, and he wants to address both of them. And so they've asked him perhaps some questions like, what, are, what is this unknown language thing? How are we supposed to use it? Maybe he's heard, it would seem like he's heard about them that they're using it a little incorrectly. And what he identifies, Paul will identify two gifts in this particular passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that I want to look at. One is the ability to speak in an unknown language. The second is the ability to interpret what is being said. Now, if we look at the word for unknown language, in the Greek it's the word glossae. This word, in, by definition, means the language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of another nation. The language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of another nation. This, abil- this ability to interpret, the word for interpret here is hermeneia, and it literally means to give the definition of glossa. So some baseline truths. I want to give you a couple truths that we're going to use to jump into this teaching. Number one, this is probably the most important thing for the whole teaching for me. Tongues and interpretation are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are God's idea, not man's. Let that sink in for a second. They're God's idea, not man's. When we push pause there, we realize this is not a denominational issue. This is a biblical issue. And God gave us a linguistic gift. It's a language that we don't understand that we can spiritually interpret. I have a question for you. Do you believe that every gift from God is good and desirable? I've got to have feedback on this one. Could we say it this way? If God's giving a gift out, I want it. You know where I'm leading you, right? You're like, I'm not saying yes to that. Okay, now think... (laughs) Think that through. If you're like, no, I'm not saying yes to that. Wait, time out. Why? If God's giving the gift, why wouldn't I want it? If I believe that everything he gives is good and perfect, why wouldn't I want everything he has to give? What's my point? My point is simple. I think there are gifts of the Spirit that we don't treat as gifts because we're afraid of them or we watch them misused or we don't understand them. And this is why I ask for neutrality in this. If we can suspend our fears, maybe the poor experiences we've been in, maybe the places where, I mean, I could tell you horror stories of growing up in small Pentecostal churches where I I watched these gifts be used really, really incorrectly. I could also, I'll also share with you some stories this morning where I've watched them be used really correctly. And so all I'm saying is, let's recognize it's a gift, God's idea, not man's, and then let's study it. The second truth is that the early church must become our model for how to understand what these gifts are, not modern practice or experience. Is that a fair truth to move forward with? We're going to look at the early church as the lens of how these should be lived out. So we know it's God's idea, and we're going to study the early church. Okay, here we go. I have 14 minutes. Let's go. So my questions, if we're going to dive into this, my first question for us as we studied is, is there a moment when the concept or the idea of 
unknown language or tongues comes into the Old Testament. And most of us say, no, I don't think so. I would actually argue that there is. If we study in Genesis the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel is a moment in human history where prior to this, humanity is unified in language. And there's such a power in that unity that if you study the story, God simply says, they can literally accomplish anything they want. And there's a depravity and a sin nature going on in them. So because of my heart for them to protect them, I'm going to bring confusion to language to break that unity down a little bit. And what God shows in this moment is that he has the ability to both influence and control communication. Tracking with me? Look at the Tower of Babel as a moment where God steps in and adjusts language. So then the question is, well, where's the first mention of it in the post-ascension early church. What do I mean by post-ascension? I mean after Jesus has been on the cross, after Jesus has died, after he's risen again, after he heads back to heaven and he, and he tells us he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Where's the first mention? And for that, we have to go to Acts chapter 1. It says in one of those meetings, this is before Jesus leaves, he's, he's going to share with them that there's something going to happen. In one of those meetings, he was eating a meal with them and he told them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what he promised. Remember, I've told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the context is, Jesus tells him before he goes, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to baptize you. And John was out baptizing with water. Why did he tell him that? Because he wanted them to understand that John was inviting people into a movement and into a, a pursuit of God. And that pursuit of God was through repentance and baptism with water. And so Jesus is inviting them into a movement and a certain pursuit, and it's going to come through the Holy Spirit. And so he tells them, hold tight and wait. He tells them it's necessary for who they are to be. So say this with me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is necessary. What he tells them is going to come is a transformational power that will be released to them. And so what they do is they go obey and they wait for whatever is coming because they have no grid for it. Acts 2 On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them. And it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. This word glossa shows up again as language. So in here, it's the first time that this specific type of unknown language officially appears. Some things that I think are important for us to note. No one in that room was asking for tongues. They were waiting for whatever the Lord wanted to give. Correct? No one in that room would have had the bandwidth to even imagine what was going to happen was unknown language. It wouldn't even have been on their radar. And so for me, if I'm honest, this represents perhaps the most pure response to an encounter with the Holy Spirit because there was no predisposition. They had no grid other than Jesus told us to wait. He's pouring out the Holy Spirit. Don't even know what that is. Because there was no grid to create this 
prior knowledge, they had a, a native reaction, and they began to speak in an unknown language. Now, just so you know, I wrote my theological treatise for ordination on why speaking in tongues is not the only initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. For that reason, the assembly of God refused to credential me. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I went to Christ for the Nations to get my credentials instead. My problem was, if we study the book of Acts, speaking in tongues happens four out of the seven times that there's an encounter with the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I would say it is the majority of weight, but it, we, I don't think it's fair to say if you don't, you can't be. So I, I, just so you know, where I stand theologically on this, I think the scripture has to be what, what drives our theology, not our experience. But in this moment, in this moment, everyone in the room that encountered the Holy Spirit had this native reaction to speak in tongues. So if we consider what's really happening, the Holy Spirit is being released to fill believers, and the Spirit of the living God was moving into them to dwell. So here's a couple questions for us. Could we then understand that this unknown language could be the natural outworking of that encounter? It could just be the byproduct of encountering the Holy Spirit. Could be is a, is a key word. We're not creating strange absolute truths that the scripture doesn't create. We're just asking honest questions. Could it be understood that this language, therefore, is, now catch this one, is the native tongue of the spirit man to God? You see, because the Spirit of God comes to indwell them, and all of a sudden they start communicating. It's an interesting moment if you just look at it without any Pentecostal charismatic strangeness. That's my own history talking. I'm not putting that upon you. If you just look at it for what happened, what do the facts declare? My answer to that is potentially. We could see it as that. But I think a more important question for this particular study is why did God give it? Because Paul's talking about a very unique gift, which is the ability to speak in a tongue that is a known tongue on the earth that you don't know and have a person be able to hear it and understand it. So why did God give it? If we're going to look at the, the first precedent moment is, is Acts, look at what happens. Because there was an immediate effect of that gift that I think should factor into the answer. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at the time. When they heard this sound, they came running to see what it was all about. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were beside themselves with wonder. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking the languages of the lands where we were born. So what's going on is there's people present that need to hear the gospel. They need to connect to the reality of Jesus. It's a fresh story. As the believers speak in unknown languages, soon these languages get interpreted by people in the crowd because they're hearing their own native tongue. It was a sign to those Jews. It was a grace of God to them. I think it's important to note the speakers in this moment, those speaking in tongues, had no idea what they were saying. They had no idea they were speaking in a language that somebody else would know. They were just responding to the encounter of the Holy Spirit. So there's two gifts that were happening at the same time. There was a gift happening in the speaker. There was a gift happening in the listener. And I would submit that 
This gift is another expression of God controlling communication. And I would say that the reason, as the answers to why this happens, is because of God's passion and desire to win the lost. He was reaching out to people to draw them in. There were several things accomplished at this moment. The communication of the gospel to, to a variety of languages was facilitated through this gift instantly. God's power was put on display for unbelievers. How many have ever heard the term seeker-sensitive church? Here's a fun trivia thing for you. You can, start a, you can get a good conversation started at a party with this. Do you know which gift in Scripture is actually the only gift that is put in the seeker category? Tongues. It's a sign to the unbeliever, is what Paul will teach. So, truly seeker-sensitive church probably should have tongue and interpretation in it. Let that one bake your noodle. <laughs> the third thing is that I think what I see here is that God established a supernatural linguistic conduit for unity with his people. We're going to get to flesh that out more in the next half of the study. Because Paul will say when we pray in the Spirit, different than speaking, when I pray in tongues, all of a sudden there's this edification, there's this buildup on the inside of me. There's a unity because we start playing, praying united with the Spirit. Just think about this. What happens if this is God's response to the confusion he brought at Babel? Now all of a sudden he gives his kids a unified language. Wait, I don't understand what the other person's saying. It does, you don't have to. Because there's a unity in the Spirit. Paul literally, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm going to stop. I want to tell you a story. I lived in Canada. I lived in British Columbia. Uh, Belinda and I were going to college at Christ for the Nations, and um, this was still in my early, I think I don't want to be charismatic. I want to move into the, to the, the safer parts of the church. And so um, I was super into worship, and at the time, the, the Langley Vineyard in Langley, British Columbia was kind of the hottest place for worship in the world at the time. It would be the equivalent to what's going on in Bethel right now. It was fabulous. And so Belinda grew up Nazarene, so she grew up a, a little more conservative than I did. Um, like we had a funny story. I was in a Nazarene service, and the pastor asked a rhetorical question about the Holy Spirit, and I said something out, and he looked at me. It was kind of, I got the face, which is, we don't actually talk here. Just be quiet. Um, so, I mean, it was a very different culture than what I grew up in. And so we're at, we're at, we're at, Christ of the Nations were going to the Langley Vineyard, and so because of her reticence to be in that crazy charismatic environment, I just stayed at the back, and we sat in the back row. On one particular Sunday morning, um, worship leaders up there, and the worship, worship was super funny at the vineyard this time. The band would just rock out, and they'd sweat like crazy, and then they would just stop, and they'd retune their guitars, and they'd towel off, and there's this weird coffee break moment between every worship song. And then they'd stand back up and go again, and I was just like, this is so maniacal, like, stay engaged, please. Well, so in one of these coffee break moments, I see this guy walk up to the pastor, and, and he, he's a guy that I'd seen around church, and, and so he says something to the pastor, pastor steps up and says, hey, Terry has a word for us. I'm like, I grew up around words, that's cool. Terry stands up, and except this word wasn't English. He starts like speaking in tongues. So instantly my, oh, my wife's going to freak out meter goes up, cause, and I just kind of grab her hand, I'm like, you're going to be all right, just hang out, just wait. I'm an old pro. I've been around all kinds of stuff. You just wait it out, it goes away. <laughs> and so this guy's speaking, and, and it's, it's, it's decidedly oriental. It's, it's very, like, kind of broken and guttural, and it, it reminds me of language I haven't heard. And 
So a pastor stands up and Ma- Pastor Matt was gifted with awkward. He, he, just, he just literally knew how to make a really awkward room feel more awkward and he would just kind of stand there and smile. So he just steps up and says, hey, uh, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to bring an interpretation. And he just waits. Like there was no music, there was no, you know, like we're really good at pushing the background music to make it kind of, it was just dead silent. There's like a thousand people in the room, we're looking around going, all of a sudden this guy walks up and he's about six foot one, oriental, shaved head, looks like a Buddhist monk basically. Walks up to the pastor, and, and I'm not lying, seven minutes go by, and they're having a conversation. I see pastor pray for him, and it's just dead silent and awkward. All of a sudden, Pastor Matt steps up and says, hey, uh, I want you to meet my new friend, and he's got something to share with you. And this guy begins to say a story that goes like this. I'm from a tiny village in China. There's 302 people that speak my language. It's its own dialect. It's different from everything else. I came to Western culture to get an education, and I'm curious about this Western God. And what this man just stood up and told me in my native tongue is, I am who you think I am. Give your life to me. He gave his life to Jesus that day. In the moment, the same thing is happening to me, right? All the hair stood up, and I was like, okay. And in my heart, I went, oh, now that, that's real. That I can get behind. That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, there are so many unanswered questions that we don't have time for today. Let's stand. You see, because Paul will talk about this public, but he'll also go on in 1 Corinthians 14 and begin to talk very clearly about a private language. And in our next session together, we're going to look at the private language side of it. I'll tell you that ahead of time. If you're too chicken and you don't come, I'll laugh at you. (laughs) Because it's God's gift. It's God's idea, correct? And if God's given it, I want it. Holy Spirit, we love you. We're so grateful. Thanks for both the beauty of your, and the sweetness of your presence and also the ability to laugh and have fun together. Uh, Holy Spirit, we're trying to figure this thing out and, and we just lay down um, all of our histories before you and ask you to lead us into all truth for our future because we believe in our day and in our time you want to do something amazing. And we love you and we give you all the glory and all the honor. And all God's people said, amen. Bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.